Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. A mixed weekend, I think, for Arsenal Football Club. On Saturday afternoon, the men's team cruised to victory on the South Coast, putting four past Bournemouth at the Vitality. Kai Havertz scored. Uh, and then yesterday, Arsenal women lost their opening game of the season to Liverpool in front of over 50,000 at the Emirates. We'll chat about all that, as well as taking a quick look forward to Lons away in the Champions League. Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark are with me. Morning. Hello. Hello. And uh, now, before we get going with the Arsenal, there was, I think it's safe to say, a gigantic VAR howler at the weekend, as Liverpool had a perfectly good goal disallowed for offside against them lot because of a complete breakdown in communication after the VAR missed some rather important information, which was that the goal hadn't, in fact, been given. So I thought I'd ask, have you ever messed up because you missed some important information or something completely obvious? Uh, Amy, you're cringing here. Well, Uh, I've got so many to choose from. uh, Well, choose one. Yes, no, I've got one very obvious one that uh, relates to the situation of the weekend. Dear listener, you'll have to forgive me a bit of context, but if you come back 25 years ago to 1998, the scenario is this. Arsenal have just won the double. As a young reporter, it has been an amazing few weeks to follow that, both professionally and as a fan. And let's just say I might have indulged in a bit of excessive celebration. It's the end of the season. We're all tired. We've got a little bit of letting off some steam before about to go off to the World Cup in France to cover my first World Cup. What a great time to be alive. Took a call from the office and said, please, could you go to Craven Cottage to cover the first leg of the second division playoffs? I think it was second division between Fulham and Grimsby Town. And I was like, oh, God, really? You know, I'm just not really. I'd love to. You know, all right. okay, (laughs) go and do the thing. But let's just say maybe my head wasn't quite concentrating to its full amount. A bit of additional context. At that time, there was no mobile phones giving you instant updates. There was not much internet to give you uh, instant analysis and updates. So kind of what you see is what you get. There are no monitors in the press area or anywhere else in the ground to show replays. So you're literally relying on real time. I filed my match report, which was uh, about to be published in the newspaper the next day and was busy being edited in the office. I went to the press conference and I sat in the press conference and thought, either everyone's going mad or I am. Because I'd filed a match report suggesting that the final score was Fulham 2, Grimsby 1. And the way that everybody was talking about this game was that that hadn't happened. (laughs) And I basically missed that a goal scored by Fulham was ruled offside. Outstanding. And I'd filed a wrong score and written 800 words about it. And in those days, if it's published, he's in the newspaper and they, you know, you've got to live with the consequences. 
And I remember sitting in that press conference. I've never had this feeling before since where I literally felt like my stomach had sort of fallen out of my body. It was like total horror where I thought, this is the worst cock-up I could possibly do. I've, I've reported on a game with completely the wrong score. Oh, dear. And uh, I had to go through the most humiliating experience of my life as a football journalist, which is actually ask one of my colleagues what the score was at the end of the game. <laughs> and what was, it was one all, was it? Instead of two It was one, one all. <laughs> it was one all. So I I genuinely thought I will be, this is a sackable, you know. Did anyone check it before it went to print? Well, I, uh, I, my career was saved by a very kind gentleman called John Henderson, who was a sub-editor at The Observer, who happened to be a Fulham fan and was keeping up to date with the game on whatever uh, was available at that time and um, quite rightly trusted, I don't know, the BBC more than he trusted me on that day and uh, changed it all for me and saved my bacon. So here's to you, John Henderson. I'm still grateful 25 years later. But yeah, that was a horror show. Yeah. I mean, listen, it can. It, it, I think it can happen to anyone. Oh, listen, we will, by the way, we will talk about Arsenal's 6-0 victory over Bournemouth at the weekend uh, in a short while. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Amy not reacting at all. But before we do that, uh, Adrian, yeah. what have you got for us? Oh, just no, nothing to beat that. I mean, <laughs> that's outstanding. In a football context, the one I can remember is turning up at Barnet for um, for a 12 noon kickoff at half 10 in the morning with the ground locked absolutely no one there <laughs> and I was thinking no what's going on and yeah it turns out it was it was three o'clock kickoff and yeah I was busting for the loo and I had to go around the back of the stand and you know <laughs> It was not. It was. It was all a little bit of a disaster, um, but it was much similar. You know, it wasn't. The internet wasn't wasn't a thing then. You know, so you, you, you know, once I had it in my head that it was a ten thirty meet and not a one thirty meet. Yeah, I was in all sorts of trouble, but but luckily no harm was done. Um, what what did you do, Adrian? Did you, did you like hang around for five hours? Or? Well, just went for yeah. I went for a walk. Yeah, just went in <laughs> went into Barnet, which was all very exciting. But yeah, felt like a bit of a wally, but no one. Uh, no one really knew because you know no one, no one was there to see it. So there you go. No, you yeah. just turn up there about half one. They go, you're a bit early, Adrian, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've also seen the whole of Barnet. But anyway, <laughs> I, I found it difficult uh, to come up with one for this because I'm really on top of things most of the time. But um, <laughs> I mean, I did turn up for a gig uh, in Coventry a day early once. Uh, <laughs> nice. So I suppose that does count. But this is actually about my mate. He took his motorbike driving test and um, he passed the driving test, even though he came off halfway through the driving test. But at the time when you took a motorbike test, and I don't know what it's like now, the instructor basically just waits for you back at the test centre and you go off and you do a few, uh, you you do whatever you need to do. And he came off halfway through, but obviously the instructor didn't know, so he passed his test. So, uh, and he's out on the road now, riding his motorbike uh, safely, I, I should add. So it happens to all of us. As for the VAR balls up itself. We can't have games replayed. I think we can agree there. So I think we have to ask what we can do. I mean, I mean, there's a couple of things. VAR seems to work in major tournaments, basically, almost perfectly. And, and it seems to me the PGMOL are the problem. Amy, uh, what is the answer to this? Is it maybe just a bit less high-handed arrogance than the PGMOL and and a, and a sort of acknowledgement that 
we don't care about the referee on the pitch being undermined. All we care about is the correct decisions being made. I think one thing I would love to see is uh, an independent review of PGMOL. Now, whether that comes from sort of international referees or FIFA or whoever, but some people with some experience of officialdom who are nothing to do with the Premier League or English football or the FA actually do a kind of root and branch review of PGMOL because what you can't do is keep making human error mistakes and not put in place a change of system or some alterations to minimise that. You know, just making mistakes and apologising and making mistakes and apologising. It's like, if you think about a two-year-old, you know, eventually they need to start learning. So somewhere on the line... We need to PGMLL on the naughty step, don't we, for half an hour? Indeed, we do, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, <laughs> yep, they... They need a proper ticking off and some and some, some time out thinking time. Grounded. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's not currently fit for purpose. And I think maybe that's the thing that I find saddest of all is that when the discussions were first going on about bringing in some version of VAR or something to assist referees, it was hard not to think that that was a good idea. I know that purists always felt, leave it as it is, mistakes are part of the game, you live with it, it evens itself out. But I ne- I never quite went along with that. I felt like every time you watched a match pre-VAR and the ref would make a clear and obvious mistake. Look, I always had some sympathy for refs in that they you know, are working in real time under enormous pressure and they have one view. And then you'd go, you know, be millions of people around the world watching on TV who within 30 seconds would have replays and angles and so on that could disprove that. And it felt unfair that the referee didn't have the benefit of that while millions of people around the world did very quickly. And that was very undermining. So I thought the principle of it to give, you know, that level of backup to a ref where when there's an obvious mistake, you know, his pal in the VAR room says, whoa, whoa, whoa no, it's not that. On we go. But somehow it's become so convoluted and so complicated and so much about rulemaking in its extreme form with no common sense. And it's detracting from the game in so much of a bigger way than I ever imagined. I thought a sort of soft VAR as such, like, oh, made a mistake, let's, I'll let you know. It sounded great, but it's not that. It's just more officials being officious and, you know, more people who are subject to human error or something. And it's so shameful, really, that the game is suffering in this way. Adrian, uh, the spontaneity is the thing that gets me. I mean, I used to love it. We score a goal, you celebrate the goal. Obviously, it could get ruled out or something, or you look over and there's an offside. But now you don't want to celebrate because you think, well, what's going to happen? And I, it's not that you don't celebrate. It's just that it's slightly less spontaneous than it used to be. And that's sort of the whole point, isn't it? Yeah, well, you ask any fan of any EFL club, whether they want VAR implemented. And I'll tell you what, they will all say, no, no chance. So do we have to look at it look at it, and say, is this f- to the benefit or the detriment of the game? And at the moment, yeah. it's t- to the detriment. 
as for spectators, but also maybe for officials too, because they're being exposed twice, you know, for, for the, you know, really obvious and bad mistakes. Whereas, you know, in the old days and, and in the championship, they, mistakes happen. Yeah. Goals that should have ha- uh, been disallowed weren't and vice versa. But we all, we're all grown up and we get on with it. Maybe, maybe that was just, that was just better. On the other hand, concentrate. I mean, you know, just pay pay attention for Christ's sake. I mean, it wasn't difficult. There were lines drawn on the pitch. The yeah. the grass was cut with the lines. It wasn't difficult to see. And and I don't know, I drift off sometimes during games, but I'm not officiating. So if you're officiating, maybe watch the telly and see what happens and make your decisions accordingly. I mean, genuinely, Adrian, it is absolutely awful what yeah, was, went on. This, this was a communication error, wasn't it? This this was it would it'd been disallowed, but he thought it had been disallowed he thought he was checking um that it was onside well then why don't as soon as the as the kick is taken he looks at the screen and go oh no that's not right why doesn't he then contact the ref and go hang on a minute no 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 that's wrong that should be a goal simple as that and it's done yeah but you can't do that at the moment but but maybe that's one of the things that they look at implementing you know there has to be a 30 second window of opportunity if there's a you know complete balls up there has to be. Uh, look, I mean, we could obviously talk about this for the next week or so. Uh, Amy, you have one more point you'd like to make? Yeah, I just think transparency is important. And I've seen a few examples on uh, French TV where they have the referees come in and explain or they have them wired up and they um, they release the, the footage of what's being said to explain decisions and so on. And that is a huge, huge forward step. And for some reason, there's this Masonic secrecy amongst PGMOL and that needs to stop or be stopped. Well, I think a lot of us feel uh, the same way. Uh, let's talk about the Arsenal for a bit. Bournemouth nil, Arsenal four. Only one unchanged lineup in their last 20 Premier League games, partly uh, to do with who was about, I think, really. I mean, pretty easy win and the sort of win, Amy, that you would hope that they would have. We've had some tough away games, one nils, and we've we've struggled a little bit, but it's basically been in control. But this one was exactly what you want against a team in the bottom few places in the table. Uh, uh, really, just hold them at arm's length, score the goals that need to be scored, and hopefully get away without any injuries. Although we see with Saka, yeah, I mean, it, it looks like a very enjoyable afternoon was had down on the south coast for those lucky enough to be there supporting the team. You know, great away days are made of this. Comfortable, good football, not too much stress, which is a rarity amongst uh, Arsenal games in the Prem. And being able to play the kind of football Arsenal like to play and show their superiority was was really uh, useful. And I think the only time apart from that that's happened this season was against PSV in the Champions League. So it's good to be able to have that experience in the Prem as well because they kind of need to try and get a bit more of a feeling of being serene and in control and and in the zone in in Premier League games as well. Control. I mean, two of the most stonewall penalties I've ever seen in my life. I love the Bournemouth bloke complaining after the second one. (laughs) No, ref, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Look at him, mate. You just wiped him out. I mean, this this stuff about penalties, Adrian... um, Martin Erdegaard took the first one and then Bukayo Saka handed it to Kai Havertz for the second one. I mean, 
look, there's all sorts of things that change in football. It used to be you had a nominated penalty taker and that was it. Now it seems they can all hit a dead ball pretty well, certainly the forward players. And and you trust them, don't you? And if they trust themselves, I mean, are you are you okay with this? Well, it doesn't matter whether I'm okay with it. It's whether the players are okay with it, isn't it? That's all that really matters. And if, if they're totally cool with it, then then we should be as well. Um it's unusual. Obviously, what the pattern that seems to be happening happening is that one player goes to the ball and, and does the whole build up, and then at the last minute hands it to hands it to their mate, which is just something I've, I've never really seen before. Um, it it does make me wonder whether the, whether that's actually a tactical ploy, because goalkeepers, as we know, will not know whether it's Saka or Odegaard that's going to take the penalty or Kai, or Kai Havertz now. And they might have a little look on their water bottle or wherever they keep their information on, on you know, where everyone's put their penalties. And of course, if at the last minute when that goalkeeper's set and ready, we then change it, it might cause a little bit of confusion. There's just, there's a part of me that wants that to be the case in, in terms of Mikel Arteta looking for those, those um, fine margins. Those, those small wins, so that that could be it. But but on this one, uh, I, I loved the the camaraderie with with the ball being given to Kai Havertz. Just thinking about the greater good of the team and and Kai's confidence, I think was a was a very very nice thing to do. And it was the right time to do it because we were going to win the game anyway. Yeah, but imagine if he missed. I mean, you say it's a nice thing to do, but the pressure actually was immense because. <laughs> Ooh. He didn't even look at the ball. Don't, he didn't even look at the ball. That was a very calm penalty. He didn't look under pressure. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. But I, 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 um, I, I have a theory about Arsenal's kind of uh, um, pass the parcel <laughs> penalty situation at the moment. But yours makes much more sense, Adrian. But I wondered because in pre-season Arsenal kept having uh, penalty shootouts at the end of all their friendlies, whether kind of sharing the penalties around a little bit in real pressure match situations is part of preparing the group as a whole for penalty shootouts that might come up later in the season champions league maybe you know if you're not if you if you've got a regular penalty taker and that taker takes probably 90 95% of your penalties and only doesn't take one if you happen to get given one when they're off the pitch then once it comes to a shootout you're putting a bunch of people into that sort of position for the first time in the season. I, it might be, it's probably absolute bollocks on my part, <laughs> but I just sort of wondered whether that was part of the, especially if it's, you know, in a situation like the Bournemouth game where you feel like you're probably not risking too much at 2-0 to, to go to somebody else. But yeah, I don't know. I, it, that would be incredibly detailed long-term thinking if that was the case. I don't think it. I don't mm-hmm. think that will be the case. But I, I don't mind that logic at all. It works you know? in terms yeah. of the logic, doesn't it? Really, because there are. It's likely that Kai Havertz will take a penalty with more pressure on it than the one he took at Bournemouth. Uh, Mikel Arteta, by the way, said, "As a manager, I'm more proud of this than the victory because this is what you try to build: culture and environment that they support each other, have their backs, and enjoy what we are doing. It's worth it. It's real." and not forced and Declan Rice said the love and unity in this team is so amazing teamwork family club I mean we've all felt it it's, all, it's also a lot, a lot easier to say that when you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is it is but I do think that they are with each other and, and there is a there is that bond where they, they care 
about Kai Havertz and they care about his confidence and they that Martin and Bakayo recognise in that moment, this is a chance to give Kai a lift that he could do with. And look look what it sparked. It sparked 20 minutes of non-stop Kai Havertz songs, which he's, he's going to come into the next game bouncing. <laughs> Fair play to the fans as well, that song. It was absolutely fantastic. Bit of an earworm. Uh, he also, by the way, scored more Premier League goals in September than Chelsea. <laughs> so well done, Kai. This is Handbrake of the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We better beat uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone, Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark here on the Athletics Arsenal podcast Handbrake Off. Go on, Adrian, you want to say something? Yeah, just a bit of tactical sort of reflection on the game um, while, while we're still talking about it. I know that it was an easy win, second gear, etc. But it was, it was a really good performance. Bournemouth are a pressing team, OK? So they really went for it early on in the game, committed five bodies forward, trying to stop us play out from the back. Like PSV. Like PSV did. And we did to them what we did to PSV. It was very, very comfortable. Um, the way that we knocked the ball around at the back was calm. Um, and the big noticeable change in this game, and I think it was deliberate, was that Declan Rice really dropped back in, to basically to be like a centre-back between the two. I think it was to lure Bournemouth onto us so that we could then play through them. And that's exactly what we did. And and Declan didn't, didn't misplace a single pass in our own half, which I thought was was immense, really. And, and, and in general, we were very, very cool in possession, which was nice to see. A stat that is of interest. This was the first game of the Mikel Arteta era where we delivered one cross from open play. Just one. And we scored from it. 
Uh, Martin Erdegaard obviously clipping that one to the fast stick um, for Gabriel Jesus. So that was a, that's a real quirk, whether that was because Jesus was on one wing or because we had Eddie up front, I'm not quite sure. Maybe, maybe we were trying to you know bypass the big big defenders. But yeah, I was looking at our cross, our cross count this season and you know we had 22 against Fulham. <laughs> we had 17 against Man United, 14 at Everton and in this game we had one. So that was a little bit quirky. So yeah, a couple of a couple of little takeaways. The other one I think is Eddie. He didn't misplace a single pass in the game. Um, looked after it very, very well. Do you think he was stung by the criticism after the Tottenham game? I mean, do you think he reads it? If you, yeah, but it's good to be stung sometimes, isn't it? Um, you know, if you had a bad game or you've had a quiet game, you know it, don't you? So, but 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 I thought against Brentford, he wanted the ball all the time, got it, looked after it, and in this game it was exactly the same. He dragged his markers all over the pitch. And he didn't give the ball away, which is what you want from your centre forward. So, so he did well. And, and obviously, Martin Edegard was involved in all, all four goals. Again, wasn't great against Tottenham by his standards. But in this game, stepped up big time. And in those decisive moments, it was, in a way, it was the Edegard show. In terms of injuries, Amy, you wrote a piece on the website about cluster injuries, which you talked about on this podcast last week. I mean, it looks like we're getting through so far. I don't know, it's a a game-by-game thing, isn't it, really? It is at the moment. You know, obviously Declan Rice being able to play was really significant, I think, for the Bournemouth game, for bringing back that sense of security. I still think it would be helpful to have one of Trossard or Martinelli back as soon as possible. It looks like Trossard is not far away. That helps as well. But uh, clearly, yeah, Saka, because he always plays, there is still that question mark of if he, he couldn't or doesn't for some reason, how Arsenal compensate because he is sort of unique in the way that he operates in the team. Anyway, it was a good weekend for the Arsenal, uh, notwithstanding them not winning, City losing as well. That was a big result. Uh, in the Women's Super League, uh, Arsenal-Liverpool Liverpool won. Uh, 54,000 plus crowds, the biggest in the history of the Women's Super League. Adrian, not the start we wanted, really. I mean, I didn't see the game, but um, what I did see were a lot of anguished tweets from me and Wright and Tim Stillman, who were watching, uh, saying that we just didn't play that well. A lot of passing across the bat, but no incision, no verticality, I think, would be the, uh, <laughs> the phrase. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I was working at a different WSL game as well. I was gutted to miss it, but yeah, let the stats tell their own story. I just talked about our Arsenal having having uh, one cross um, in this game, <laughs> the women's team had thirty nine, <laughs> but I think I think twenty of those were in open play. So yeah, a lot of put crosses in and and couldn't get on the end of it. It was it was a frustrating game. What I would say is the starting lineup was odd to me. Went with the back three. Neither of the two new centre back signings, Kadina, who won the World Cup of course recently, Illustat. They were both on the bench, weren't in the back three. So I thought that was a slightly strange call. And 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 players were left out that I was surprised to see left out. Not least Pelova. It's been brilliant. Every time I've seen uh, Victoria Pelova play last season and lately, because uh, I watched the Netherlands-England game, she's, she's been outstanding. So to see her on the bench was also slightly odd. So I think if he had another go at it... Jonas Eidevel might pick a different a different starting eleven, and I would have and I think I did say the exact same thing about that Champions League qualifier. So, yeah, I like Eidevel. He's a nice guy, clearly a smart tactician, but I don't think he's got his team selections right so far this season. 
Poor start for Arsenal women. Uh, on a positive note, though, Katie McCabe signed a new contract with the club. Get your talent tied down. It's great. In terms of the men's team, we got Lons tomorrow night. Amy, which is the more important game? Lons away or Man City at home on Sunday? Man City. Sorry. It's hard not to. I would normally say the next game in almost any circumstance, but no. <laughs> You've got, we've got another, what, four goes of the Champions League after that, so... So that being the case, are you rotating? And, and I mean, I'm not saying you're playing a reserve team, but is Jorginho playing tomorrow to protect Declan Rice? Is Reese Nelson playing, say, instead of Bukayo Saka? Do we, do we really protect our star players at this point? Is Emil Smith-Rowe getting a start instead of Martin Erdegaard? Are we playing almost to Brentford? I think that they will have spent yesterday and today having a pretty thorough look at the medical reports on all the players who have had knocks or problems and I think Mikel probably knows what he's doing to try and best manage the next two matches I probably wouldn't give Bukayo 90 minutes in Lens but uh, like most people I'm not sure I would have given him the best part of 90 over the weekend so you know sometimes Mikel works in mysterious ways and so far it's serving him pretty well so I think we have to give him the trust and the right to try and pick the right selections that are strong enough to give Arsenal the best chance in both matches. <laughs> Very diplomatic answer, but that's <laughs> that's the truth, isn't it, Adrian? In the end, we want to win both games, but I think all of us would take uh, probably a defeat in Lons if we knew we were going to beat Man City. I'd rather not lose to Lons, but City is a massive game on Sunday. Whereas, as Amy said, we've got four more goes at this. Yeah, I'd shake on that, Stoney. I would. <laughs> this, uh, would you? I think look, Lons have just outside the relegation zone in, in Ligue 1 this season that they're based on this season's performances and I know they were excellent last year but based on this season's performances they're, they're, they're Ligue 1's Bournemouth so this is a winnable match for us even if we do rotate so I would I would have Saka on the bench Erdegaard on the bench and Declan Rice on the bench just to to play it safe that I'd play everyone else. Jesus needs game time. William Saliba? I'd play Saliba. It's a, defensively, you don't want to take liberties. Um, I mean, you could leave out Saliba if he's if he's a little bit iffy, if he's not feeling 100%, you could slot Tommy Asu in there. That'd be fine. But I don't like messing around with the defence a lot because, you know, we've been so calm and measured, haven't we, in away games domestically. And I want that to, to carry on in... In, in the Champions League, we've been so solid. I mean, 13 clean sheet wins in the Premier League away from home since the start of last season. It is off the scale good. So we, we have got a great clean sheet mentality on the road. So we need to maintain that. Um, and, uh, and no matter what team we put out, I would fancy us to score away to Lons. So, yeah, I think, I think this is a match we can afford to rotate in a little bit. Just want to say uh, a good luck also to the Arsenal fans who are going out to Lens because um, I think the club are implementing a, a, a sort of bit of a clampdown on ticket holders. And usually what happens with away games is, you know, you get your ticket and if you're not going, you might give it to a friend or a family member or something like this. But there's a lot of um, inconvenience where a, a, a load of ticket holders are, be, you know, rather than having their tickets sent out in advance, they can go and they have the freedom to do what they want on the, ma- on the day of the match. We'll have to go and pick the tickets up with photo ID. Um, it's it's a complicated one because, you know, you can understand 
to an extent, the club wanting um, to have total knowledge of who's going and who's got the tickets. And they're trying to make it fair so that if you, you know, you get a ticket for you, you go. And if you can't go, it's someone else's turn. But, you know, it's a bit big brotherish at times. And you sort of think, let, you know, if you've been lucky enough to get a ticket because you qualify for one and you want to give it to your kid or your neighbour or your best mate, like, it's not the end of the world, or maybe you shouldn't be. Quite. Yeah, there have been quite a lot of discussions on various WhatsApp groups I'm part of about away tickets, and um, people get quite heated because it is quite difficult uh, to get them. One other thing about what you were saying, Adrian, it does indicate how far we've come that we're talking about rotating for a Champions League tie away from home. Well, it's City. It's because it's City. If we, if we had, you know, Bournemouth at home, it would it would be different, wouldn't it? Um so this is City and City don't have Rodri. This is a big chance. This a is chance. a chance. It's a it's, chance. Obviously, they've got Leipzig as well, which is probably a more challenging, maybe a more challenging Champions League game as well. Rodri will play in that. So hopefully, they'll, in a way, hopefully they'll win that. Because um, so, if they lost that, can you imagine? That, that City would just never lose four in How a row. Would they? they just couldn't, couldn't envisage that no. happening ever. So I kind of almost hope they avoid defeat against Leipzig and, and and maybe yeah but this is a this is a good chance no Rodri we have to smell blood and we have to tear into them in a way that that, that we're maybe been a little bit scared to do in, in in some of the previous games so um yeah we want to be we want to be fresh yeah we'll do a proper preview of that on Wednesday when we talk about the Lons game as well let's have a song uh, to finish by the way I've I've chosen uh, I've gone for in honour of VAR this weekend I've gone for What's Going On by Marvin Gaye right? <laughs> because uh, one it's a great song and two I think uh, the VAR could feel the same way <laughs> Adrian what have we got yeah, in homage to the 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 love that we showed Kai Havertz for that penalty, the family spirit that that came to the fore. I have picked a, another bit of a soul classic, 1971, um, Sly and the Family Stone. Uh, it's a family affair because that's what it is. It is. Well, it's a lot of uh, uh, of old school songs for us this week. I'm going to go uh, possibly even further back. I'm not sure of my dates, but Desmond Decker and Generosity. It is a nice feeling at the Arsenal at the moment and uh, hopefully that will continue this week. Uh, thank you to Amy Lawrence, thank you to Adrian Clark and thanks to Jay, our producer and thank you listener for listening. This has been Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. See ya. <laughs>